0: This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. Whatever he gives you to do, work at it with all your heart. You're not working for the publisher or whoever you're working for today. You're really working for him, for Christ. And so put yourself into it. Award-winning author
1: and radio personality Chris Fabry joins us on this episode.
0: Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates.
2: And Armin Asadi.
1: And we want to help you put your faith to work because there's so much more left inside of you and we would love to inspire you in some way to see how God is working in and through you to bring your bold idea to life. And we just have a fabulous guest here on our program today.
2: He may rock your world. And by may, I mean he will rock your world. You will need to listen intently because he's just got a depth of wisdom to him that comes across very nonchalantly. But just just listen intently and you will grow from this guy.
1: Mm-hmm, for sure. On
2: our program today is Chris
1: Fabry. He is an award-winning author. He just finished his 80th Book, Just no big deal. I'm number <laughs> no. one. I'm, I'm almost there. Yeah, and <laughs> they have won three Christie Awards and EPCA. Christian Book Award and two Christianity Today Book Awards of Merit. He also co authored 35 books with Jerry Jenkins and no Tim deal. LaHaye on the Left Behind for Kids. Yeah, no big <laughs> oh deal. Gosh. He could knock that out in a day.
2: <laughs> and then does two hours of live radio every single uh, day. On top of
1: that, he has a national radio program called Chris Fabry Live on Moody Radio. He was the 2008 Talk Personality of the Year Award from the National Religious Broadcasters. If that's not enough, he's also heard on Love Worth Finding and the Building Relationships radio program with Dr. Gary Chapman. Just an amazing guy with a big family, and we're going to hear all about that. Well, Chris Fabry, it's such an honor to have you on the Bold Idea Podcast.
0: Well, it's such a pleasure to have my name pronounced correctly, Leary. Thank you. <laughs> you <laughs> I know probably a get a two about you, that. You get Fabry. Uh. <laughs> Nanette Fabry was big when I was a kid. Oh yeah, so everybody sure. would call me Fabry. Okay. Fabry. My grandfather came from Austria-Hungary, so it had an umlaut. I think a long time ago, oh, and they took sure. it off at Ellis Island. Oh, okay. So it, it looks like Fabry or Fabry, but it's Fabry. What do yeah. you?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, you know, my name is spelled L-E-A-R-Y, so I get the Leary thing a lot. (laughs) So, Chris, welcome to the program. We're so glad you're on here. I mean, really, it is an honor for us because, you know, you're, you're a very accomplished guy. You've written 80 books and you've been on the air with your own talk show for 10 years but before we get into all of that which is kind of cool in of its own self you and i were exchanging some emails and i learned something about you in the process about the size of your family and i want to start with your family because on your website you said your family is what energizes me most of all i want to succeed as a husband and father so that's the impression i got from our email exchanges tell us about your family
0: well my wife and i have been married since 1982 you can do the math on that. We have nine children. You can do the math oh, on that oh, as well. Oh, and the, the, yeah, the, the right. As well. <laughs> I used to say I kidded with people that we constituted a bus ministry by just going to church. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> And people would ask, you know, are you Mormon? Are you Catholic? And I'd say, no, just prolific Protestants. <laughs> <laughs> just, Wife, Andrea, comes from a family. She has one brother. I come from a family. I have two older brothers and that's it. And so when we started having kids, it was so much fun. (laughs) We just decided not to stop. Well, there you go. (laughs) And they are, you know, they're a real joy. But at the same time, they have required what, what they were when we were kids, when we were young, when they were children was one thing. And I could control them in so many different ways, you know, not in healthy ways emotionally. Mm-hmm. And now that they're adults and most of them are adults, we have two teenagers, three teenagers left. Mm-hmm. I see, I see the reality of this is now what the illusion was I can control them. I can make them into who <laughs> I think they ought to be. That's the illusion. Uh-huh. The reality is they're going to make their own choices yeah. And I have to make the choice, am I going to go with them? Am I going to walk beside them yeah. or not? And so that's why I say it it energizes me so much.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. And my wife and I decided, well, I told her I wanted two kids, and she said she wanted four, so we compromised. That's why we have four kids.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Yes, honey?
1: <laughs> I don't know if compromise works like that in your family, but I find that that happens quite a bit. <laughs> so your family suffered quite an ordeal a little while ago back in, what was it, 2008?
0: Yeah, in 2007, we found a water leak in our house and we contracted a company to come in and tear it all out and clean it all up. And right after that, our kids started to get sick. And it went off and on for about a year in 2008. We found another problem, a water leak in this house that had not been we found it had not been constructed correctly. The guy mm. who made it kind of made it piecemeal. and it was a gorgeous home. It was like 5,500 square feet. It was a castle to us. Mm. We moved from Illinois, 1,800 square feet to this big three times the house in Colorado. But we were getting sick. Our dogs, you know, our pets were getting sick. Mm. And we find my wife finally pieced it together that it's the environment. There's something here, so we got the testing done. The upshot of it was it was a toxic mold situation that was going on that wasn't remediated correctly the first time, and the second time it got even worse, and so we were getting sicker and sicker. I mean, we're I'm not just talking about you know have a cough or respiratory. I mean, we're talking hospitalization. We're talking surgeries for the the continual downward spiral of my children. I mean, these were kids who loved to read and they couldn't focus on the page to read because of the eye situation that was going on. And it affected all of us, you know, and and every part of us in some ways, not just gastrointestinally, but also neurologically. So in October of 2008, I got a phone call. I was in Chicago and my wife said, honey, we need to leave the house. She had talked with a couple of different people who knew a whole lot more than we did. They knew what the situation was. And so I said, well, you know, let me fly home and then we'll talk talk about this. That was the longest plane flight I've ever had. Oh, yeah. But what I had to go through with that was to ask the question, what does love look like here for her? Let's say she's off her rocker. Let's say she's crazy. Let's say there's nothing wrong with this house. Am I going to love her enough to say, Okay, let's walk down this road together, and let's see let's see what the truth is, and and deal with what the truth is. Am I going to say that, or am I going to push back and say, look, all of our savings, everything we own is in this house. We can't leave this thing. And what happened was, we did we did leave everything in there. We treated the house like a fire, and we walked away from it with the, the clothes on our backs, and we had to change those. Wow. So that was the beginning of that was a O eight and early '9. And then I was doing my radio program It was the first six months of doing the radio program. And now here we are 10 years later into the program and looking at life, looking at how far we've come. We're living in Arizona now. It's a lot drier climate, but there's still mold, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it follows you everywhere and dealing with the fallout of our health and the struggle that we've been through and God walking with us through all of that. Yeah. So
1: is your family back to good health now, or is there still some lingering issues because of that?
0: There will always be Mm. lingering issues Mm. because mold is, is like sin. It's, it grows Mm. in the dark and (laughs) Mm. you can't see it. It needs water and food. Well, a a leaky pipe will find drywall, you know, and, and sins the same way. It'll focus in the dark and it will start to grow when you don't see it. And so I'm not saying that we were sinning by buying this house, (laughs) but what I'm saying is it's, it, it is something that you have to deal with. We had to deal with the emotional stuff, you know, of losing our, our things, the stuff of life. I had to deal with chemical sensitivity because what the mold did to me, everybody's DNA is different. What the mold did to me was kind of strip away my ability to block out some things and, and we couldn't go to church for a while to walk into a church because of all the perfumes Because of all of the smells, my tongue would go numb as soon as I walked into church or (laughs) (laughs) coals because the perfume right there at the front, nothing wrong with Coles, but I can see now, I just took a trip to Nashville not long ago and drove up to see my mom. And I would always do this. If I ever rented a car, I'd say, you know, I can't have this and I can't have anybody who smoked in the car and blah, blah, blah. I didn't say any of that this time. I got in and I was driving for an hour and I thought, Hey, my tongue didn't go numb here. I'm Mm. I've I've progressed. And so I can see how we've, you know, we've moved forward. But at the same time, there are things that we're dealing with, and I won't go through all eleven of us, things that we're dealing with that probably are gonna be there, gonna be lingering for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. What was your greatest takeaway from that experience? <laughs> that my Dean Kuntz how to write best selling fiction book that I spent a hundred and some dollars on because it had been out of print wasn't really that important. <laughs> 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 the stuff of life, you know, loving your family is a lot more important than trying to hang on to that thing, you know, that investment that we had made. And it was very scary with the house and with you know we, we very quickly because our insurance company health insurance wouldn't cover us we were out of pocket for basically everything we were doing so oh, wow. very quickly all the money that we had saved was gone mm. and yes. and it was just a very scary time and i guess the big takeaway was if i really say that i trust in god i really need to do that and through that you know step by step process day by day I mean, it, it's, you know, if I went into all of it, it's a horror story to go through with the different, you know, things that we went through physically, as well as trying to find a clean place, quote unquote, clean to get into. But I'd say that, you know, that that's what that's what sticks with me after all these years.
1: And it was around this time that you were launching your radio program. Is that right?
0: Yeah, we started in May of 08 and in October of 08, I was out. And and in 08, you know what happened to the housing crisis, you know, things just imploded. So really what I was on was this odyssey of what everybody else was going through in the country or or a lot of people were going through it. I was going through it for for very different reasons, but we were still kind of homeless vagabonds. I was doing, you know, a network of Moody radio network, Moody broadcasting. I was doing a network program from a pull along trailer in parked in front of our house in Colorado in January with gloves on. (laughs) And I still say that those are some of the best programs I did because I had to narrow my focus onto whatever we were talking about that day. And I could hear the crows flying over, you know, (laughs) it was, it was really a strange situation to be in, but it was, it was good because it got me kind of grounded into real life and, and what authentic living really is. And I think for the people who came along who were around at that time, they sensed a certain authenticity, you know, that I'm, I'm struggling just like you are. And I try to do that each day with, you know, the interviews that we, I try not to put on, you know, boy, I've figured this out yeah, because I haven't. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, as you think about that time when you were going through all this and your ordeal and you were starting up your radio program and all the rest, how, how did that contribute? Do you think to your thinking about this bold idea that you were creating this, this new radio program?
0: I think it really informed it because pain will do that to you. You can either pain will either push you away from life and, and make you want to numb yourself to it and, and go some other route or it will send you swimming through, you know, I think kind of like Andy Dufresne in uh, Shawshank redemption. It's like you got to swim through that pipe if you want to get out, Yeah, (laughs) if you want to get out into the, (laughs) so that you can take your shirt off finally. Yeah, And so that, Pain and that struggle, rather than pushing me away from the love of God and the care of God, push me closer to that and and to asking the real question of you know do I really believe that this thing that I'm going through right now is something that He has placed maybe maybe He put me here or He allowed me to be here at least in my theology I can wrap my mind around that He's allowed me to be here. Now what is it that I need to fully live in, in order to make sense out of this, that that's the, I guess that's the big struggle that I have is that I, I've so often go toward trying to make sense of my life and mm-hmm. figuring out, oh, well, I had that traffic accident and our car was totaled, but I got to meet the tow truck driver and I got to speak with him about the Lord. And so mm-hmm. then, you know, it all works out yeah. it all gets into my su- Sudoku or whatever that thing is, you know, I can <laughs> fill in all the blanks and I don't think God promises us that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want to be able to justify the reason for the pain that we're
0: experiencing, right? Exactly. And if we can figure that out, see, if you figure out the pain you're in and you see what God is doing or you put on God what you think he's doing, then we can feel okay. But God is not asking us to figure it out. The longer I live, the more I realize I don't think he's asking us to feel okay (laughs) about what we're in. That's not his goal. His goal is to grow me. His goal is to mature me. Into a fully devoted follower of of Jesus Himself, and so if that's his goal, I've got to look at my life through a little bit different lens. And when you start that process, it is just crushing because I want to run back to to feeling okay about myself. I want to, I want comfort. I want to numb myself or to soothe or salve my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And fortunately for me and my maturity, God is not conditioned to that. He doesn't want that from my life as much as he wants to grow me and mature me.
1: Yeah. I often find
0: that when I'm in pain,
1: I want to know what the pain is all about so that I can fix it and get out of the pain.
0: <laughs> yes. And take a pill and take it. That's what I'll say. When my wife is having a problem or is one of the kids. Well, you know, ibuprofen is, you know, just try to take and it's like, don't fix it, dad. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this pain is here for a reason. And I, you know, and, and that's true. I think that's a good process to go through as long as you don't take it to the The logical end of, I have figured out why everything in my life is happening. Mm -hmm. We don't. We don't know that. And faith doesn't say, I figure it all out. Faith says, I don't understand. God help me, not to understand, but help me to follow you. Yeah, that's good. This is the Bold Idea Podcast.
1: I mean, this is a special episode in my heart because not only the topic, but we have the generosity of our listeners that are making this possible
2: that's my favorite sponsorship so far. If we could get our podcast sponsored by our listeners every time, it would make my day cuz there isn't a greater compliment that we could possibly receive than that.
1: Uh, totally. And you know, we love our business sponsors as well, but right. there's something when you as an individual decide, "Hey, I'm going to invest in this because I'm getting something from it."
2: That's right. And this is a passion project for us. It's not like we get paid for this. So anytime we see people investing in us, it means the absolute world to us. So thank you so much for doing this. And if you want to see this continue to happen, please just go to BoldIdeaPodcast.com forward slash donate and make your investment there.
1: And this is a tax deductible contribution.
2: So I'm going to change direction here a bit because you're just a prolific writer. I was corrected by Larry earlier. I said he's written over 65 books. He's like, no, I mean, he's written over 80. So I read something wrong on (laughs) on Google. But tell us about your book writing. Why did you even begin to write?
0: I had a real struggle with that because in middle school and high school, I was always writing. I was doing poems. I was... I was writing songs. I would sing about my, my dad was Bob, and I wrote a song about Maggie the cow. Oh, this is the story of Maggie the cow who lived in the days of yore. Old farmer Bob would feed her hay and sell her in the store. And she lived her life, got cut by a knife after the gun did sound, and they cut her knee to get to the meat and sold her by the pound. This is the kind of <laughs> stuff I was doing when I was a kid. You know, it just kind of flowed. I love and that. so I showed this to one of my English teachers in junior high then. And she she looked at me over her glasses and she said, are you trying to be Doctor Seuss? <laughs> and that just shut me down. Mm. It just—it was so crushing. It was yeah. like, no, I'm just—I'm just kind of being who I am. You know, I'm not trying to be anybody else. And so I went into journalism in college, which seemed to be something that I could do because I had a professor there who said, I still remember the writing that he put on the page: "Hey, comma, you can write!" Exclamation point. Oh, and it's <laughs> the first time I ever had anybody that I respected who said, you can do this. You're pretty good at this. Go toward it. So I had this dream of writing, but I didn't know what the, I didn't, I thought books came from the, you know, the book tree or the fairy or something. (laughs) I didn't know what it was like. And then I started doing a program called open line on Moody radio out of Chicago. And I would get all of these guests that would come through Frank Peretti and Jeanette Oak and Davis Bunn and Jerry Jenkins and all and these luminary, you know, Christian writers and I'd say, "Hey, how do you write a query letter?" And I'd get Writer's Digest and just pour through that, read Writer's Digest books. So in 1995, my first book was published. It was Spiritually Correct Bedtime Stories: Parables of Faith for the Modern Reader. And it was just this book that was a spin-off of James Finn Garner's Politically Correct Bedtime stories, but I put this Rumple Bookseller was one of my stories, and Billy Goat's Gruff. I did a takeoff on that, so I start, started with that, and then it just kind of took off. And then Jerry Jenkins, who was a mentor of mine, asked me. He said, "It's it's getting pretty hot in here with doing all these Left Behind books and the Left Behind kids. Would you take over writing the Left Behind kids?" And so I worked with Jerry and Dr. Tim LaHaye for a number of years, and I wrote 35 of the 40, only 35. 35 of the 40 of those children's (laughs) books, and then 20 more in two different series with Jerry. And then I published my first novel for adults in 2008, I think it was. And that was where I always wanted to be. I wanted to write for, I wanted to do for other people what books had done for me, what To Kill a Mockingbird had done in my life when I was a young teenager.
2: What did To Kill a Mockingbird do for you?
0: It was as if I was with Scout. It was as if Jim were up in the tree and Dill was walking down the street and they wanted to get Boo Radley to come out of the house and I, I was there. I was, I was so immersed in the story that it didn't feel like I was reading anymore. I was just part of it. Hmm. And when you get to that place where you're part of the story, then the story can come around behind you and and change you and can open your eyes too. What's it like to be Tom Robinson? What's it like to be his wife and his kids who are watching this, him be in jail and being tried for this thing? It's obvious that he didn't do this. What's it like to be Atticus who's defending this man? What's it like to be the Ewells down the road by the trash heap? You know, It's it's very easy to lambast Bob Ewell, but then look at Mayella and what she's gone through. All of this stuff starts to happen. And really what happened to me was what happened to to King David. And that is God had a message for him, you need to repent. Now, how's he going to get that message to him? Nathan, go over there and tell David he needs to repent. What did he do? Nathan stands up and does an hour sermon? No. He told him a story. Said so there's this man and he had this little lamb. And and he loved this. This lamb was like one of his kids and he ate at his table. And he goes through this story And by the end of the story, uh, spoiler alert, (laughs) the lamb doesn't make it. Uh, (laughs) End of the story, David is so incensed. It's like that man who killed that lamb, he is guilty. You know, he has to pay for this crime. And Nathan says, King, you're the man. This is you. That's what good writing does. It sneaks around behind us. It opens us up. To new things that we need to see, not just about the world, but about ourselves. A good story will read us rather than we read it. So when I read To Kill a Mockingbird, that's what happened. It read me instead of me reading it.
1: Mm. That's a great distinction. Now, if I understand your journey right and as a writer, you've, you've kind of had this skill and this interest when you were a kid, but it didn't really come alive until you started interviewing guests on your program. Is that right?
0: You know, I think it's, that's true. The, the desire was there, but I didn't have a vision that you could actually do this. So what the guests gave me was this hope, you know, that when I saw them, it was like, well, these people really aren't that much different than I am. And when I brought my stories to Jerry Jenkins, he looked over his glasses and he said, "If you really want to do this, I can help you." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, that's what I want." Mm-hmm. He said, "Are you willing to, for it to be painful?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, l- let it be painful. I had no idea how painful. I would send Jerry with the left behind kids books, which they paid me for, which, you know, was an education. I would send him these manuscripts that are like 30, 35,000 words in length, and they'd come back like 18 to 20,000 words <laughs> and it's like, oh no, what do I do here? But what he was doing was showing me, you know, I'm ramping up. I'm just jump in the middle of the action here. Don't wait for this. Don't, don't clear your throat. This is clearing your throat. This is where the story starts over here. He gave me that as we work through that series and gave me the idea that, yeah, you could do this. So what was
1: the impetus? I mean, take us back to that point in time, Chris, where you woke up or, or someday you realized, okay, this is it. I'm going to do it. What, what
0: finally caused that to happen? I think it was just looking at my desire. The desire grew to write and to say something. And the thing that kept holding me back was this little voice that I've written about in this, it's kind of a scrutapian thing, this little voice on his shoulder that says, you don't have anything to say. Who are you? You're a kid from West Virginia. You, you, you're not, you don't have any advanced degrees in this, that, or the other thing. I mean, you have a BA in journalism and a Moody Bible Institute certificate. What, what do you have to say that, and on and on and on this thing goes. And in in the little Scrutapian thing that I wrote, I kind of have this conversation with the devil, and I come to the understanding that if I'm no good, and if what I'm writing is drivel, and nobody needs to read it, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Why are you accusing me? Mm Mm-hmm. If you're accusing me, there must be something that I have to say (laughs) that you're afraid of for me to say it. Exactly. So I think I got over the false humility that says, oh, I'm nothing. I don't really have anything to, you know, I'll let other people write things. Well, no, if God's given me the desire, and I'll say it to you, if God's given you the desire, he's given you an idea. If there is an impetus in you to come to the page again and again, day after day, as hard as that is then don't spike that. Do what you've been given to do, whether 10 people read it or 10 million people, it doesn't really matter. Be faithful with what God has given you to do and the desire that is there. I think he can do a lot with just a little bit of desire and you have to make sure that it's not too narcissistic though. You know, I just want to see my, my name on the spine of a book in some store, someplace, in some window, You know, that's not a real good reason to want to write. A lot of people do. Jerry always says a lot of people want to have written. They don't want to write (laughs) because it's a lot of work. But if God has placed that in your heart to do it, then do it with all your heart. Colossians 3, 23, 24 is kind of my life verse. Whatever he gives you to do, work at it with all your heart. You're not working for the publisher or whoever you're working for today. You're really working for him, for Christ. And so put yourself into it. Mm. That's great that's convicting
1: <laughs> love that <laughs> So I, I imagine Chris you're a guy that's balancing kind of two expressions on one hand you've got your radio voice and on the other well literally hand you've got your writing voice right and how do you how do you balance between those two how do you see those two expressions working out I mean many of us have multiple interests and in things that we're pursuing and you're a guy that's successful in both of those how are you doing that?
0: Well, I had a friend a number of years ago when we were thinking about doing the program who said, I think you ought to do this, Chris. I think it will be good. And this is a person who's in writing. She said, it'll be good. It'll keep you grounded. It'll it'll let you have conversations with real people every day. They're going through real stuff. My third novel, my adult novel that won a couple of awards, a Christie Awards and the Christianity Today Book Award for Fiction was called Almost Heaven. And it was a story about a man named Billy Allman who had a radio station in his house and he lived in the house and he really wanted to get the gospel to the little holler in West Virginia that he lived in. And you go through these ups and downs. Billy Allman was a guy, was a real man who lived in a holler, Lost Creek, West Virginia, who a woman called me in the trailer that I mentioned, you know, the little pop-up camper out in front of my house. She called on the program and she said, your program is not on the air today because the station manager, Billy died yesterday. He was in his early sixties. It was a surprise to them, Mm. but he passed away in the radio station. And she started telling me about this man and his heart for God and the valleys that he'd been through. And I told my wife that night, I said, I think I've got my next story. I want to (laughs) tell, I want to tell Billy's story. Mm. I would never have heard that if I hadn't been doing the program that Mm. I've, you know, I've done for the last nine or 10 years. Yeah, that's, that's
1: neat. And to see the conversion of those two things coming together. Yes. Now I have to ask this question. If you had to choose between your writing and your radio, <laughs> uh, wait, do I need to finish the question?
0: <laughs> well, well, e- either you're going to have to tell my publisher not to listen or the radio people not to listen. I, and, I think I like the process of writing better because there's nothing I have to do, (laughs) you know, I don't have to tell my producer, you know, we're going to do this. I don't have to line up the guests or figure out what are we going to, you know, what slant we're going to have with this. Mm -hmm. The writing is a more solitary, singular thing that I can shut the door and do and then leave. The radio thing has a lot more tentacles to it. But at the same time, I know that as, you know, I just said that this keeps me to the end of the real world. Yeah, it fuels it, you. It, yeah. It, it's it like accru- having a car without the fuel then. Yes. So they both work together. And, you know, if you push me against the wall and said you gotta choose one, I'd probably choose writing. And let me tell you a story about how the show started though. I I had said no. I'd said no, I don't want to do this. This is, you know, it's gonna take me away from the writing and all the things that I'm doing. And I was sitting at a stoplight in Monument, Colorado. It was snowing outside. There was a man who pulled up in a pickup truck, a Ford F-150, and he had a dog beside of him, the window down a little bit. He was smoking. He had a country song on the radio. And we had just gone through the burial of a friend of mine named Bill. And Bill had constructed my little studio in that house that we had to walk away from, built it over the third bay of the garage. And Bill would come, he could do anything, he'd build anything. he's a great guy. We'd had some spiritual conversations. I knew the church that he went to and, you know, his, his kids knew my kids, et cetera, et cetera. And one day my son called and said, dad, did you hear it? Bill died. I said, no. And I went over to his house to talk with his wife and his kids were there. And she said, you didn't know, did you? I said, I didn't know what Bill's bipolar. Bill had a drinking problem. Bill has been so hard to live with for all these years. I had no idea. And Bill died alone. He fell in the apartment where he was living and hit his head and, and died. Nobody found him until mm. later. So I'm sitting at that light. I'm sitting at the stoplight. I'm turning left. The light's still red. And I look over and I see the guy. And I, I do not hear God speak to me. I, I don't, you know, that's not what this is about, not an audible voice, but I had this impression as I'm running all of this through my head, that God was saying, you want a chance? You missed it with Bill. You had opportunities with Bill that now you can't. You don't have them anymore. Here's an old guy in a truck. You want to talk to him? I'll give you a chance if you want it. And so later on I said, I want to do that program. And so the last nine or 10 years, I've thought about the guy at the light I've thought about Bill, my friend, and I've thought every day is an opportunity for me to speak into the life of somebody that I I probably will never meet and be able to speak into some, some truth and some grace and hopefully some compassion, too, for what they're going through. So good.
2: Chris, what do you think is the most common theme in the way that you minister to people or speak into people's lives?
0: I think uh, what, what everybody's looking for, young or old, it's just being honest, being real, being authentic. And those you know, it's cliche now in the church. But I think the power, and this gets back to the power of a story, a po- the power of a story well told is not to write characters, but to write real people. The greatest compliment that people can give me when I they read one of my stories is, I felt like I knew those people. <laughs> You know, this is the story i told about the promise of Jesse Woods. It's like, I, I grew up with somebody who is just like Dickie Darrell Lee Hancock. I grew up with Matt and with Jesse and I, I know these people, I know what's going on. And so if I can be real with my characters, if I can be, when the mic comes on, if I can be real with the people that are listening to me, then that thread runs through every program because they know that I'm going to try not to be fake with them. I'm going to try not to put on and make them think something that I'm not. And as, as much as we can be real in the church, that's hard to do. And it's a little easier when you're behind an open microphone than it is the church because, you know, you can't see my face right now. You can just hear my voice. But as much as we can be real, I think that's the thing that goes through when the mic is open or when my fingers are on the letters of the keyboard. That's good.
2: So let me ask you this: Has there been someone who has consistently inspired you to become who you are today?
0: Yeah, I, I guess. I guess it was the the first one was the person who wrote that on the um, on the sheet. Hey, you can write. He was the RTNDA Radio and Television News Directors Association president, and he was the anchor of this little TV station in our area that the NBC affiliate in our area of West Virginia, which went, you know, about 15 states. (laughs) It was was such a rural area. (laughs) And he was the one who first gave me that, you know, that validation. And then he later on when I went to college, he retired from the TV studio and he became my advisor in college, got me my first TV news job, you know, and, and said, you're in here. And has been that, he passed away a few years ago, but he has been that to me kind of in absentia because my funny story about my, my dad, when I first told my father that I was gonna go full-time freelance, I was gonna not work for a, a paycheck every, every week, every couple of weeks or every month. I'm gonna go full-time freelance. The line went dead, and this is after I was doing it. Yeah, i have been doing it for a while. The line went dead, and I heard him take a breath, and he said, well, they're laying people off up at the nickel plant. <laughs> mm. And I thought, he just, he just doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. He, he's from a different era where you have a job, you stay with the company for X number of years, you don't take a risk like that. You don't. So my father couldn't give me that thing that I needed. Mm-hmm. And I loved him enough to not require him to do that. You know, because he just couldn't. And I've allowed other people like Boz, my mentor, and Jerry Jenkins, honestly, has given me, you know, kind of the the wings that I've needed to do some of the things. And, of course, you know, I've got to talk about my wife because she's been my biggest change agent (laughs) in Mm. my life helping me see things that I haven't been able to see. And, and I hope it'll do the same for her.
1: Yeah, That's awesome. Well, we love Jerry Jenkins. We had him on our reinventure Me podcast episode. It was just a, it was tremendous spending time with him. Tell us what's your next bold idea. You're working on a book or just completed one. What's that all about?
0: Yeah. My mom and dad grew up in the depression. They both grew up basically in the coal fields. And my dad's mom died when on Christmas day, when he was about 12 years old. And so I've I've fashioned this story from kind of their hard scrabble life, setting it in 1933 and 2004. And in the 2004 story is an old woman who's looking back at her life, and she hasn't told the truth about everything that's gone on. And so it's the power of telling the truth. It's the power of children taking keys away from their their mother who shouldn't be driving or somebody's going to die <laughs> mm-hmm. anymore. You know, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, and under a cloudless sky will come out. I'm finishing the edits on that. It'll come out in January. I'm hoping it's going to be one of those that, that really does the same thing that I talked about. Nathan will kind of sneak up around the backside of your heart, knock on that door and move itself in with the story of Ruby. Mm. Well, for our listeners, it may not have read
1: your writing, is there a favorite? I mean, I know you've got 80 kids here and you have nine real kids, but you have 80 kind of book kids, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Is there a favorite that stands out
0: for you? You know, I think it's, it's probably Junebug because it's sold the best of the novels that I've written. I've written some novelizations of films like War Room. That book sold very well. But Junebug was the book that I was working on when we got out of the house. It was the book that I was editing in that little pull along camper. And it's the story of a little girl who rides around with her dad in an RV around the country. And they park in Walmart parking lots (laughs) and stay overnight. Mm -hmm. And she walks into a Walmart one day and she looks up on the missing children poster and she sees herself. Mm. That's the first page of the book. So the rest of the book is who am I? Who is he? Where's my mom? where's my family? Wow. You know, it's the story that we all have. Who am I really? And so Junebug has, and actually it's been made into a film called Child of Grace. It's the one story that continues to come up to me, bubble up that people read and they'll say, yeah, she, you know, little Natalie, little Junebug, she captured my
1: heart. Oh, that's, that sounds awesome. We'll put a link to that in our show notes too. So our listeners can grab it. How can they find out about you, Chris?
0: Just go to chrisfabry.com. I got the books that are there and some of the things that are rolling around my soul. Chris Fabry, F-A-B A in fab, as I say on the radio, <laughs> F-A-B-R-Y, chrisfabry.com.
1: All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Chris, for being on the Bold Idea Podcast. You, you've got so, much, so many wonderful things going on. I know we could spend a lot more time chatting about it, but we probably have to
0: let you go and we have to figure out what we're going to do with all this great information you've given <laughs> us. Well, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for the questions and and your insight. I can tell you guys have been been thinking about these kinds of things a lot. So thanks for having me. Oh, well, it's a pleasure.
2: Absolutely. Our pleasure. Thanks for dealing with the rookies.
0: (laughs) Okay. I mean, let's
1: break down what we just heard from Chris.
2: Oh, sure. Give me a couple of days. (laughs) I know, right?
1: Oh, there's so much here.
2: Well, you can always tell when you're engaged with someone that has a wealth of wisdom, not just a wealth of knowledge, you know, Mm -hmm. someone who's gone through enough stuff in his life that he's turned knowledge into wisdom. He's put a lot of things that he's learned into action. He's embraced the knowledge of God and turned it into wisdom. I mean, he, you can just tell he's a man of wisdom and he walks it out with humility. Yeah.
1: And I get the sense that he does it in an unhurried way.
2: Mm -hmm. which I know nothing about. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Like uh,
1: my dad used to say to me, Larry, you're just a bull in a China shop.
2: (laughs) (laughs) If you don't, if you don't do it now, it's all going to end. It's all going to end guys. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Exactly. The sky is falling. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's a few things here that I think we should talk about. First is I really like how he talked about what happened and what he learned out of that whole situation with his family. You know, Especially when you go through pain and suffering, you know, there's such a strong desire to want to be able to justify it and rationalize it and say, we understand why it's happening. You know, we want to just kind of get down to that. And that's just a basic kind of response. Right. We want to be able to frame it up. And it's like that, you know, there's times when God allows things to happen and he doesn't disclose the reason. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading through the book of Job right now. Yeah. You know, and it's one time in scripture where you see what's happening in heaven and you kind of know the reason, but Job doesn't know the reason, right? <laughs> you know, and that's true for us too. Mm. We often don't know the reason,
2: right? What was interesting is towards the end, he started talking about the book Junebug, yeah, right? And he just happened to leave that out until the end while he was talking about the story of everything that was going on with the house. He left out the fact that he was writing Junebug. Which ends up being one of his best-selling books of all time, yeah. And I-, I love the fact that he very nonchalantly, without even thinking about it, basically throws in this <laughs> thing about Jumbug that basically says, "I found my success in my greatest struggle." Mm-hmm. Right? That he, while he was in his little trailer doing these recordings, that's where he came up with this concept of this book that has become the best selling his struggle that was a that's a huge struggle with that many kids i have one kid and that would make me freak out (laughs) if i had that many kids and i had that kind of financial meltdown yeah i I, that that would be an apocalyptic meltdown for me you know like i would not i would not be in a good place but he took that and he wrote something that will be forever remembered. Yeah. It will always be written on the pages of something someone's always going to remember. And he even says, people still come up to me to this day mentioning that character. I think her name was Natalie. Yeah,
1: that's that's so true and so right on. And I'm I'm sitting here as a dad of a kid who's got health problems, as you know, and I can't imagine my whole family and me also struggling (laughs) with it. What a burden that he went through and yet to keep going at it. And, you know, when he talked about not needing to know the reason, I I thought about what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 7, because he talks about the peace of God that transcends all understanding. You know, we pray and we receive this peace of God. And I remember one time reading that and I decided to look up what that word transcends understanding means. Because I'd always understood that to mean, you know, it's this peace you can't explain, right. you know? And it's like, uh, wow, well, you know, you pray. Writer. Yeah, you pray and you have peace that you, is beyond human logic. That's a great way to say it. it. Just, you shouldn't expect it. And that's not what it says. Because the meaning of that word transcends means literally it's better than understanding, it means it's superior to understanding, which means. It's better for us to have peace than it is for us to have understanding. And yet oftentimes what we want is the understanding, you know, and Uh, what God and what God is offering to us is peace, peace that is better than understanding, which is why the apostle Paul when talking about all of his tribulations in second Corinthians chapter four could say, I am perplexed, but not in despair. Wow. see, perplexed is not understanding. I don't know what's going on, but I'm not in despair. Why? Because I have peace.
2: That's so good.
1: And peace is better than understanding. And I think that's what Chris is talking about. He's talking about this time in his life where he came to what God was teaching him was, I'm not offering you understanding here. I'm offering you peace. Wow. And from that, just what you described, that bold idea, working through that, staying true to it, as he said, you know, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And I think that's, personally, I find that inspiring when I am wanting to know why things are happening.
2: Yeah, no doubt.
1: And just to say, keep going.
2: That's so deep. I've never, I've never heard that broken down like that before. Oh, mm. well, I hope it's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's not, I'm still going to run with it because I really like that. Wow. I remember he, he did, I, I don't know if he sent it to us or whatever, but I have the quote here. He said, struggle is not the sign of failure. It's the sign of success. Mm-hmm. I love that so much that I think I'm just going to keep it on my phone as a reminder cuz you never end struggle you know you never find a way not to struggle no matter how much success you have no matter yeah. how much you achieve, struggle seems to always be there. Right? Yeah, if and,
1: and he was talking about Satan kind of coming at him and saying, like, you know, your presence is evidence that I'm onto something here. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd leave me alone. <laughs> you know. True. And I think sometimes when we're in that struggle, and we wonder what's that all about. It could be that you're onto something. Right. Could be that there's that bold idea you need to just keep going through and let it inspire you.
2: Right. And what he was saying, don't let that false sense of humility. Be the thing that stops you right right like that's that's not that's that's not righteous it's not holy that's not somehow spiritual or Christian that's not godly it's not any of that that's it's basically submitting to the voice of not God, <laughs> yeah. something else, right? Yeah. It's like, what's the point of that? And you know, when I break
1: down kind of at a high, super high level where the oxygen isn't good and maybe my thinking isn't that clear <laughs> when mm-hmm. I, when I break down, what I think I hear Chris saying is, is that there is a reason for your bold idea. Right. And we may not be privy to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that's in the sphere of God's stuff. All the <laughs> things that happen is in the sphere of God's stuff. And what I loved about what he said was that, whether you're, you know, as a writer, whether you're writing for 10 or 10 million, you know, there's a reason for it and you're not responsible for the 10 or 10 million thing. You know, that's kind of God's domain to do that. Yeah, And so it makes it, puts it right down to every person as a reason.
2: Right. And then the question being, can you believe in God enough that the reason behind what he's wanting you to do Will provide you in every way that you hope. Mm-hmm. That's the faith. That's factor. that's the
1: faith factor. The big faith factor. Right? Yeah. yeah. Totally. The, that's where. <laughs> that's where the rubber hits the road.
2: <laughs> oh man, we should for? stop now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the way that Chris talks is it's just. It's filled with humility, it's filled with wisdom, but he says so much stuff with almost nonchalance in a sense, but it's the the depth of it, the more you process it, the more you realize there's so many different layers to it.
1: Yeah, well, I love the fact that he, you know, when I asked him about whether he would give up one or the other, he was like, the, the connection through radio and the connection to people is what fuels him, you know, mm-hmm. and it's that... I get this sense that Chris is a guy that has his aperture wide open to see what God is doing in the lives of other people and to just see how he can, he can learn from that for himself, but also use that as a way to minister to others as well through the way he crafts story and the way he tells truth through story. Yeah which I think is just amazing. And you know, I think I'm sitting here in this conversation with you, processing our conversation with him, and I'm thinking, man, there's a lot
2: to still learn. Right? <laughs> I'll probably have to listen to this episode oh, a I think times. I will, too. As, <laughs> I think
1: I will as well. Well, we hope you enjoyed this show. In fact, we hope that you found it worth listening to a second time around. We'd love for you to share it with your friends. Find our show notes at com slash seven. We'd love to get a comment from you. Tell us what you think about the show. Ask a question or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA. 612-568-IDEA. We will have links to several of Chris's books. We'll have a link to his website that you can find on our show notes. And we'd love it if you would take a moment... And review our show on iTunes. We've had several people in the last week review our show. So thank you so much for that. And we'd love for you to do that. Simple to do, boldideapodcast.com slash review. And it will explain how you can give our show a review. So that's it for today's show. We're so glad you were able to be a part of it. And this is Larry Gates. And Armina Sadi Saying so long.
0: You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.